What we try to do once a quarter is have what uh, uh, the Lord put on pastor's heart. It's called on the wall prayer. And so that's what we're doing tonight. And uh, so when I knew I was going to be ministering to um, tonight, uh, that's what the, uh, the Lord, the direction that he had me going in. And so what is on the wall prayer? Uh, in Isaiah, it talks about the uh, watching on your walls. And they had fortified cities back then. And people, there would be people who would uh, stand on those walls and stay on those walls watch and they will watch for good things that were coming to the camp and they will watch for bad things that would come. And so are you friend or foe? Uh, you know, and, uh, and so, uh, the Lord, uh, has taken that over even into the new Testament. We were looking at it yesterday morning. I believe it was in prayer about watching and praying. And uh, so what we're doing is we're standing up on our watch. Habakkuk 2, 1 and 2 tells us, I will stand up on my watch and I will see what he will say to me. And then it goes on to talk about writing a vision. What he tells you, what he shows you, write it down. And so uh, so we're standing on the, uh, the watch of this era, this generation that we are a part of. God has given us responsibility for, to watch over, to pray for, uh, to use our authority that we've been singing about earlier. And so we're going to talk about, uh, a little bit about that tonight. So uh, <clears throat> let's see, there were some other things. Oh, um, so I'm over the prayer department here uh, at Cornerstone and want to let you know some of the prayer times that we have. So uh, if you want to get involved uh, a little more, you can. And uh, on Sunday mornings, which I don't think we have much room left in that room uh, up there, uh, but the front room right here, right off the front door, is um, is uh, pre-service prayer. And Ollie and Nadra lead that prayer, and they pray for our services uh, during the week or on Sunday mornings specifically. And so if you uh, get here at 830, you can be a part of that. They do it to 830, 855, somewhere in there. And, uh, and so so uh, you can be a part of that. Um, we also have uh, base prayer, what we call base prayer uh, at 6 o'clock on Sunday nights in the AIM building. And uh, what is base prayer? Years ago, I was praying in the pastor was praying out the base, the base. And this is the base of operations for Cornerstone World Life Church and all the ministries, ancillary ministries that go out from here. And so the Lord had us call it the base. And so we call it base prayer and we pray regarding the the. Uh, the plan, the vision uh, of Cornerstone Word of Life Church and anything else the Lord puts in our heart. So that's at six o'clock on Sunday evenings. And we also have prayer groups. Uh, so generally, we pray from six to six thirty, uh, six twenty five, somewhere in there. And then we break up into groups and people go their ways and pray that way. And that's all while uh, Bible Institute is going on. So if you're in Bible Institute, you can come. Except when we're not in Bible Institute. You can come then. All right. And then we have early morning prayer on Zoom. And we do that from uh, 7 a.m. Uh, there about 7.45, 8 o'clock. And so if you're early morning risers or you're driving into work, you can dial in with us. Sometimes I see people driving. Uh, sometimes I see people sitting at their desk. And so if you, I don't know what's going on here. Move it down a little bit. Um, if you want to come and be on Zoom with us, chat with us, you can. Um, we have uh, healing school prayer at 1030, uh, and they meet in the kinder church room right out here. So they pray for Reverend Opal and all the uh, healing school attendees. So you can be a part of that. We have 
prayer on Wednesdays, and uh, that is online and also uh, in person. So you can come be with us in person, or you can go online uh, on the Zoom call, and you can uh, watch from there and pray with us uh, there. And then, um, I don't see them tonight, but... um, Martin and Teresa Pollock, they do uh, prayer and pray for pastors uh, at 6 o'clock in the front room. So if you want to be a part of that, you can come. And then, you know, if you have any further questions, I can answer those for you. Praise the Lord. All right. So we're a very active church around here, and we're wanting even to expand uh, prayer, and when that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. So if you would, go to Acts chapter 12, and it's going to take me a, just a minute to get there, but you can just rest at Acts chapter 12 uh, until I get there. Uh, how many of you know that or have experienced the anointing on your life? That, uh, you know, maybe even being a part of this church or maybe before you got here, that you encountered the anointing and the anointing changed. Uh, as you encountered the anointing, it changed something. You were healed in your body or, you know, um, finances came into your life or, you know, those kinds of things. And we love the anointing around here. Uh, I got to listen to one of pastor's services and uh, he talked about how he was introduced to the anointing and he was uh, Uh, desiring, hungering for the things of God. And somebody handed him Brother Hagin's book, Understanding the Anointing. And he said, ever since that book, it just uh, amped him up on the inside for the things of God. And he's been uh, uh, hungering and thirsting after them ever since. And so uh, he loves the anointing. And uh, Pastor Rhonda loves the anointing. We are presence-driven church around here. And so we want the anointing because nothing in our humanness can break Uh, or destroy a yoke on anybody's body or in anybody's life. But we love the anointing in manifestation around here because then when the anointing come, it changes people's lives. Amen. And so with, uh, with that and knowing that and knowing that the, uh, the anointing destroys uh, yokes and bondages off of people's lives, the enemy knows that too. And so, uh, you know, he has no way of uh, creating anything or he's not a creator. He's a replicator. He sees what God is doing and he tries to pervert it and tries to, uh, you know, make it go awry and and that kind of thing. So he's, there's nothing original in him. We'll say it that way. And so, um, so when he sees the anointing in operation, he tries to get in there to thwart whatever God's doing, to mess up whatever God's doing. And, uh, so cause he knows the anointing will undo what he's done. Right. Y'all remember the madman of Gadara. And so when the anointing, uh, the anointing works in individuals, in individuals lives, the anointing also works in families. The anointing also works in uh, communities and regions. And so uh, as he sees that momentum or he sees that working, what he tries to do is disturb that. So with the madman of Gadara, what was happening was there was a region uh, that this man terrorized people. And so the demons that were, he was filled up with, whenever anybody would try to chain him, he would break those fetters and break those chains off it. They could not control him. And so uh, people were afraid to go through that region because of the madman of Gadara. And uh, so he had a region locked up, so to speak. And so when they saw Jesus coming, they were afraid. And they saw the anointing on him. And knew who he was. And they said, don't let us go before our town. Don't send us out from this region. Why? Because they had terrorized that region for a long time. 
And they knew with him coming in uh, and he was going to destroy yokes and bondages and that those people would be free, right? And so, uh, of course, Jesus didn't listen uh, to them and uh, brought freedom to that area and everything. And so what he tries to do is try to lay hold or claim a region and, uh, and he can't have it. Where God says that we go to put our foot, where he, uh, where he tells us to put our foot, uh, and we claim that those people, that place and those people belong to God, he has to move out of the way. Amen. Glory to God. And so, um, so the anointing, he will work in year, in the uh, years in people's families. And, you know, people have mistaken that and say that there's generational curses. And Jesus redeemed us from the curse. And so uh, what we see is patterns maybe happening and God even works in patterns, but the devil works in patterns too. And so uh, with the anointing, with us being redeemed, there is no generation or curses. You just enforce your victory that you are part of a covenant that we just got done singing about and you enforce that covenant in, in your life. And so what the enemy tries to do is distort things and pervert things and twist things up and he'll work for years to try to do that and get people off. And so what the anointing, when the anointing comes on the scene, it can undo what he's done for years. What he's worked in families, what he's worked in a community, what he's worked in regions, the anointing comes in for a moment. Hallelujah. And destroys yokes and undo bondages. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, years of demo, uh, you know, demonic depression and oppression and all of that. And uh, one minister used to say that uh, he said that when you come into a greater level of anointing, you better make sure everything's bolted down. <laughs> and what is he saying? He's saying that everything needs to be in place. And so when you're operating in the anointing and moving to even different levels of anointing, uh, Dr. Varala was here years ago and she prophesied to pastors and she said, you're going to new levels and at new levels, there are new devils. And uh, then uh, Reverend Opal said, they're all under your feet, whether they are on a new level or not, they're all under your feet, which we just sang about and talked about, praise the Lord. But he will try to bring strongholds and, um, and so why do we, everything needs to be in place and strongholds um, and he can't try to keep um, strongholds in place and keep his work in place, as we were saying a little bit other, uh, earlier. But in a fraction of a moment, an encounter with the anointing can change your life. What is it? Uh, Kenneth Copeland used to say one moment, one word from God will change your life forever. One word from God, one moment in the anointing will change your life forever. My life has been drastically changed because I've been in the presence of God, I've been in the anointing and radically changed my life. Amen. I was going on one course and encountered the anointing. And so he set me on another road. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So, um, <clears throat> so when that anointing comes, and we see it very often here in our church. It's not just for us to enjoy, even though we do enjoy it. Anybody like saturation meetings around here? Yes. Hallelujah. And we do enjoy the anointing, but the anointing comes to be dispensed. It is for our enjoyment, yes, but it's also to do a work, to undo the works of the enemy. So let's go to Acts chapter 12, verse 1. And... Uh, 
And in talking about the anointing, we're going to see some things here. Um, <clears throat> so in Acts chapter 1, uh, it says, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain. So now about that time, Herod the king. So Herod was the king of, excuse me, of Israel at the time. And Herod was not a good king. You guys remember John the Baptist. This man was eat up with demons. For him to be able to do the things, the horrendous things that he's done, that he did, um, <clears throat> he had to be eat up with them. And so he was the same one that um, uh, uh, Herodias, I believe it was, that came and danced before him. And uh, he said he would give her, and he's in a drunken stupor and uh, out of his mind. And he says he would give her half of his kingdom. Anything she asked, she would get, he would give it to her. So she went to her demonic mother, and she asked him, what should she say? And she said, ask for John the Baptist's head. And he granted it, and he did it. So that kind of gives you an idea of what kind of man this man was. So now by that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands. Now let's stop there for a minute. He uh, stretched forth his hands. What uh, a lot of times the anointing is dispensed through hands. And so God uses our hands to administer the anointing as we lay on hands for healing. We lay on hands for different things uh, that's uh, in the word of God. So uh, the, in, the enemy here is using his hands to vex the church. So it goes on. Uh, now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain. So let's stop there. And it says certain of the church. And uh, so he wasn't going after uh, just uh, random people. He was going after certain people at the beginning of the church. And we're going to see here uh, one person in particular that he was going after. And so it's not a random thing that he's doing. It's certain ones. What are these certain ones? It says, uh, goes on to say that, um, <clears throat> that, well, let's just read it. And it says, uh, he, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. So, um, and then it goes on to say, he saw that it pleased the Jews that he did this. So the only reason why he even did this was because he saw that it pleased the Jews for him to do it. Again, again evil. And so uh, James is one of the three that were close to Jesus. Pastors have been teaching us about uh, how Jesus addressed the multitudes, how he addressed the disciples, and then he had three that were closer to him uh, in fellowship, and even one even beyond that, uh, John. And so uh, James is one of the three that Jesus had a more intimate relationship with. There are things that he told the crowds, the multitudes, there are things that he disclosed to the disciples, and there were three that he disclosed before, and we know that John pressed in even greater, right? And so here it says that he killed James, the brother of John, and the, with a sword, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. So because he saw that it made the Jews happy, that's the only reason why he did it, being, uh, Yield it to the devil. Uh, the devil knew that he could use him. And this is at the beginning and the onset of the church. The church age, which we're living in right now. 
the age of grace. And so things are happening. God's opening up things. Uh, uh, doors of utterances are being opened. And so the ones that were around Jesus are now setting up the church age. And the three that were closest to him, certain ones, the enemy is after. And so it says that he sought to kill Peter, take Peter also. Uh, and it says, then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squadrons or quadrants of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him uh, forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer. But prayer. So I'm sure James would have liked that they got this revelation earlier. But they lost one before they hit, they, it hit them. We got to do something. And it says, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. For who? For Peter. And so <clears throat> the distinguishing difference between James and Peter was but prayer. And so here's the enemy using this evil man that's yielding to him to vex the church. That word vex doesn't sound good, does it? He's using him to cause wreak havoc and mayhem in the church. And they're afraid and they're running and, you know, all this uh, because of Herod and because the Jews are mad and all, all kinds of things are going on. Yet they're trying to do what the last thing Jesus was to build my church. Amen. Preach my gospel. And so they got this to contend with also. And so they had to lose someone before they took their place in prayer. They took their place in prayer, but it was after they lost someone. We don't want to lose anybody before we take our place in prayer. And I know we're all people of prayer and, you know, I don't know if it's happening with you, but the Lord, the Lord is requiring more of me. Is he requiring more of you? But that was weak, 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 weak. He's requiring more of all of us. And so, and you might say, well, that was the beginning of the church. But anytime there's momentum, anytime there's movement in God, anytime God is divinely uh, making advances, the enemy can see that in the spirit realm. And what he wants to do is stop and halt what God is doing. And so if we are not praying, if we're not giving ourselves to prayer, because it said uh, um, here, uh, let's see. Prayer was made without ceasing to, uh, of the church unto God for him. And so uh, let's go a little further. Uh, let's look at uh, verse 6. And it says, And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. So evidently he had some peace because he went to sleep. Bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison and behold, now they're praying and they're praying all night and they're praying without ceasing or however long it was. They're praying without ceasing. And so this is a result of them praying. This is a result of them praying and behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison and he smote Peter on his side. So Peter, 
who had heard about what Herod did to James, that uh, he killed James, and now he's been arrested because it pleased the Jews uh, for him to do so. And so he's asleep in the prison. And an angel came in, a light shined upon him, and the angel had to hit him. Hey, wake up, I'm here. And raised him up saying, rise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, gird thyself and bind on thy, uh, bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. So he's giving these, all these instructions. We're going somewhere. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, um, which was done by the angel, but thought he was in a vision. So he said uh, he's uh, in a vision or that he's dreaming. And when they were past the first and second ward, so he's in a prison. And so he, evidently he's back a ways and he's coming out to the first and the second ward. Uh, the angel has to wake him up. Get your shoes on. Get your coat. Let's go. And uh, so to get past the second war, they came in and not think about this. There are guards there. So the angel gets him past the guards and um, and past the gate. Uh, let's see. They came to an iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them on its own accord. No explanation for that whatsoever. It just shows you the supernaturalness of what happened when prayer was made. Prayer was made and they went out and passed on through one street and uh, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, (laughs) so he still thinks he's in a dream or a vision. Uh, This is happening. Now I know of surety that the Lord has sent an angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, the uh, one of the three that hung out with, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked on the door, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she uh, knew Peter's and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. Uh, but ran in and told, uh, told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said to her, thou art mad. But she, and now they're praying for him to get out of jail. He's out of jail and he's knocking on the door. But that's not him. That's not him. <laughs> and she constantly uh, affirmed that it was even so. And they said, it is his angel which also gives you a clue that they were familiar with working with angels in that time. They didn't think anything. That's his angel. Don't worry about it. It's his angel. It's not Peter. And, uh, but Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoning unto them with the hand uh, with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. So he went into hiding. And of course, Herod came looking for him the next day. So, but prayer. 
but prayer. And so when the anointing or a momentum or things like that are happening uh, around ministers, around a church, around a ministry, uh, you know, the enemy, again, can see that movement that's happening. And he knows his days are numbered. So whatever person or family or community or region that he has held captive is now in danger of being free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's what we're about being the church. And that's what we're being about being in this church. It's uh, the, the reason why we gather together. One is to worship him and honor him and love on him, but also to create an atmosphere where people can come in. And if they have bondages in their life, if they have sickness in their body, if they need help, uh, something undone by the anointing that in this atmosphere that they come into. You can undo the works of the, the devil. Amen. Amen. And so that's where our, our pastors, their heart is. Uh, they're after the presence of God because in the presence of God, all things are made new. All things change. All things are rearranged in our lives. Amen. Again, how many have been changed by the power of God and changed by the presence of God? Hallelujah. And so um, <clears throat> we also see. Let me make sure here that I covered everything that I wanted to there. I may go back here in just a minute, but uh, Paul, um, he was Saul, now he's Paul. Paul had a mystery that he had to get out. He had something uh, that the Lord wanted him to do, and that was the mystery of Christ in the church. And so uh, at the beginning of the church, the, these um, downloads are coming to him. This mystery is unfolding. And in the New Testament, it's the first time that we see even uh, in, in the Gospels, the first time we even see the word church or ecclesia even used. And so God is downloading into him this mystery of, the, uh, of Christ in the church. And then there are so many times when he said, pray for me, pray for me. Why? I'm, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray for me that I would have revelation. Pray for me that the eyes of my understanding would be open. Pray for me that I would have boldness. Pray for me that um, and I would speak as I ought to speak. Why? Because there is resistance and there's opposition of that mystery coming forth. And uh, now we know about Christ in the church because he persevered and that mystery came out. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I think it is, or maybe 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it goes down and it talks about perils in the deep, perils in this, perils in that. Uh, maybe uh, he thinks he died three times, you know, that kind of. So there's all these perils that are happening. Why? Because it's opposition of the revelation that is coming forth of Christ and the church, who we are in him. Even in Ephesians chapter one, it talks about that we will have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the hope of his calling. That's who we are. Um, uh, his inheritance in the saints. That's what we have. And the power that was to us were what we can do. And so Paul is unfolding that in the New Testament uh, and bringing that revelation forth from the church. But he's being stoned. He's being beaten. He's being left for dead. Why? Because that revelation is going to set people free. Yeah. 
when people know who they are, what they have, and what they can do. When they have that revelation, nothing's going to stop them. And so what he wants to do is with opposition, make them quit. Aren't you glad Paul didn't quit? Hallelujah. Peter didn't quit. John didn't quit. Hallelujah. And so even with us as the church, as we're learning about ourselves and who we are and what we have and what we can do, when that revelation starts taking forth, you're going to start enforcing victory in your life of this is who I am. This is what the covenant says I have. This is what belongs to me. I'm sitting in my seat of authority and I'm enforcing in my life that I will have this. Hallelujah. So pushing back opposition. You might if you think, uh, can we not talk about opposition? If you live in this world, you're going to have opposition. And for us not to talk about it or even acknowledge it, we're not afraid. <laughs> we just got through talking about our authority and who we are. But you need to acknowledge and know that you have someone, anyone operating in the anointing, you have a target on your back. You're going out to minister to people. Tell people about Jesus. Tell them about what belongs to them. Tell them that healing belongs to them. Tell them that, um, you know, prosperity belongs to them. Tell them that peace in their mind, that they can be free. All of that, you're anointed to do that. But it also puts a bullseye on your back. Not to make us afraid, but just know you have opposition. And know what you, you're going to have to do something about it. Amen. Hallelujah. So Paul said, I have a mystery that I have to get out. I have uh, get, and pray for me that I have utterance. Pray for me that I have a door of utterance, that I have unction, that I have boldness, that God would open my mouth to speak, that I would have free course, that the word of God that I speak has free course. What does it mean? That it will have liberty to go where it needs to go. And then he said um, that the word will be glorified. Not the person delivering the word, but the word that's coming out of our mouths. Be glorified. Amen. And give glory to God. He said also to pray that I be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. That's part of the opposition. I remember uh, reading about this, and I think I even heard the story about this. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows who Oral, Oral Roberts is. But years ago, he was having a tent revival in California. And so when he went there to do that, uh, there was this uh, man who uh, came to him and wanted to help him in his finances. And Oral did not know this man, and so he already, already had someone in place uh, that he knew uh, that was handling his finances. And uh, he asked Oral several times, and, and he said no. So when he said no, he got mad about it. And he started spreading lies about him in the community and uh, warning people not to go to the tent revival. So uh, Oral prayed, and this man ended up in the hospital. And, uh, and so uh, he ended up having to call him and ask him to come pray for him later. But um, <clears throat> so uh, with all of that upset going on, they put him in jail because they said that he was practicing medicine without a license. Uh, and then um, there was this young man. Well, so when all of that uh, went past and uh, they were able to have their meeting, 
there was a young man that came to the meeting that uh, his, he had club feet. And he had his mom buy him a pair of shoes. And he went up to Oral Roberts and he says, Mr. Roberts, when you pray for me, he said, I'm going to be healed and I'm going to put my feet in my shoes. And sure enough, when he prayed for him, he, he uh, was able to put his feet in his shoes. And that miracle broke open in that region, in that region, in that region where they were, that community where there are and scads of people were coming to get miracles that day. What was that person that did? He was an unreasonable and wicked person that was trying to stop the anointing of God going forth in that region to help those people. So Paul said, help me or pray for me that I be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. And he said, deliver, uh, pray that I be delivered from them that do not believe. That I would say the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not believe. Right. The religious leaders of the day did not believe. And he said, the, uh, pray for me that the word would be received and um, uh, and that word received there means to be acceptable and graciously received by the saints. So pray for me that that word of God will be received. And he said that I would come to you in joy. So opposition. So that revelation of Christ in the church coming and that opposition. So when God's moving, when things are happening, when divine action is happening, the enemy tries to oppose that and stop it from happening so that the, he can keep their this grip on what he's been wreaking havoc in their lives. And so that the, the, the power of God and the word of God cannot prevail. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hallelujah. And we're on his side. Praise the Lord. So what are we saying for all of that? So all of that I'm saying is, if you've been around here for five minutes, you know that God is on the move and God is doing some things in this church. And he's doing some things through you. Uh, growth is happening around here. Uh, I mentioned it, I think, Sunday in a second service that uh, the Barna, um, uh, what they're like a consultant type group, they did surveys and found out that uh, 1,500 churches a month close in the United States. 1,500 churches close in the United States a month, every month. And uh, the fact that we're still here, so many churches closed after COVID. And, uh, and even this statistic was even before that. And so uh, the fact that we're still here, we're still standing. We're still standing. But by the grace of God, praise the Lord. So there's an assignment that's on our pastors. There's an assignment that's on this church. That's, and the church is you. The church is me. So there's an assignment on us. They can't do it alone. They can't do it by themselves. Um, and so part of the assignment is uh, the Lord said to them uh, to bring a move of God to North Alabama. That was the mandate that was given up on pastor's life when he moved here. Uh, uh, another assignment that has been given to us to teach the message of faith. Because uh, of the mandate that was on Brother Hagen, who we trained under, uh, the Lord said, go teach my people faith. And uh, in the Gospels, it says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? And so I would say in this church, 
he will find faith here, right? And so part of the assignment that's upon their lives is to teach my people faith. And um, we have a love walk queen around here. And in order for your faith to work, what you got to do? Walk in love, walk in love, walk in love. And as you can see on the walls around here, that part of our assignment also is nations and Bible schools. So we have Bible schools in uh, Chile and out in, uh, what is that? LaJoyce, do you remember? What's the name of it? Easter Island. Praise the Lord. Um, Easter Island. And, uh, and then the Bible Institute that we have here have gone to several places in the world. So it's not just, you know, been here, but it's gone outside of these four walls. And then uh, where we just came from, from Belize, the pastor that's in Belize wants to also use our Bible Institute and he wants to do it quickly. And so he wants to start Bible Institute there. And, uh, and then we've got some other requests that are coming for Bible Institute. So uh, so that's part of their mandate is to train, train up leaders and grow up leaders and disciple people in the word of God. Uh, another um, mandate that is upon their life is uh, that's becoming even more and more prevalent is minister to pastors and ministers. And uh, so um, so that and especially in the last two years, two or three years or so, that's starting to escalate. That's starting to grow even more. So that's another mandate or assignment that is upon your lives to do as part of what they're doing uh, in uh, Terre Haute this week uh, as well. Uh, and then apostolic works, you know, churches, we've had churches that have been started out of here, the expanding of the ministry, uh, taking territories. Uh, Pastor Rana just launched a women in ministry uh, convocation last year. So that's something that God has added to them. Uh, also to minister to ministers and uh, to uh, attend to specific needs that are to that specific demographic of people. And so she stepped out in that, hallelujah, and taking territory in that area. Area. Uh, another thing that is up on this church is also um, this generation, which we're part of. I'm 60, but I'm, I'm part of this generation too. Praise the Lord. I'm here. <laughs> and a lot of times we think of just generation and uh, pastors, their hearts are, um, uh, have been towards the um, and youth and young adult age, because um, I know for myself, I was telling them at prayer today that from the age of 14 to 18 were rough years uh, for me. And uh, because of my heart crying out to God, God sent somebody, a laborer to minister to me and help me. And so uh, so that's part of the um, the call that's up on this church as well. And through uh, pastor, he's prayed out regarding this generation that God calls them the generation of the upright or the righteous ones. And, um, and so they're, uh, that generation, they're influencers in the world. They're touching the world. And, um, so with that, um, I was just recently, uh, in Tulsa and I was part of a prayer group and I ju I'll dro just drop this to you. We won't go into it a whole lot of detail, but today at noon, we prayed a lot about, um, uh, <clears throat> the demographic of 13 to 25, um, the, mo the highest death rate in the United States is in that demographic from 13 to 25. And it has to do with suicide. And so just recently, uh, um, a minister that I know, their son, experienced a suicide of one of his friends. And his friend was a Christian. 
And so the father got up at the funeral and said that the reason why he killed himself was because he had no hope. A Christian had no hope. And so uh, I was in a prayer group and we were praying about this and, and discussing it. And so the person over the prayer group said, you know, uh, when I was uh, around that age, you know, 25 or, or so, and came into the things of God, she said, we always sung songs about Jesus coming back. Always sung songs about Jesus coming back. And uh, talked about Jesus coming back, preparing the people for Jesus coming back. My grandmother and mother used to scare us about Jesus coming back. It was to, to make us behave. <laughs> you better behave. Jesus can come back at any moment. He's going to split the eastern sky. You better behave. He's watching. You know, and so we hear about it all the time. Y'all remember songs like, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. Thank you, Andre Kraut. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And there was another song that was on my heart earlier today. Hallelujah. He's coming again, hallelujah, I don't know just when, hallelujah, we're looking for him, just any moment he's coming again, hallelujah, he's coming again, hallelujah, I just don't know when, hallelujah, I'm looking for him, just any moment he's coming again, just any moment he's coming again. And so he is our blessed hope. Uh, our Christianity hangs on his first coming to die for our sins, and it hangs on the second coming of him coming back for us to live with him forever. And so as a church, we should uh, be heavy on the fact of, yes, we get people born again, but let them know this life is short and he's coming again. He's coming back again. And so with this generation, uh, you know, and uh, this young man being in church, it just really bothered us that he had no hope. And I don't know what kind of church he was a part of, but that's what we hang our hat on around here, right? He's coming back and our pastors do a really good job preparing us for eternity because everything that we're doing here is in preparation for there. What we're doing right now is helping us prepare us for forever. And if they have no hope or they're living in hopelessness and despair, something's awry if they're a born again Christian, right? So praying for this generation. And uh, lastly, at least the things that I could remember today, there may be others, but the mandate that's up on this church and assignment that's on this church is to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, to prepare people. And so um, with that, with all this movement, with what all God is doing in the lives of our church and in the lives of our pastor, 
uh, that momentum or divine movement that we can see. An acceleration is happening. God is doing things, speeding them up. Uh, you know, uh, they've uh, um, had, um, uh, he's trying to interrupt uh, what they're doing and what the anointing is accomplishing in their life. And there's scriptures, and I'll give you, two, give you these real quick, and then we'll pray. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says, For a great door and effectual uh, door is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. So when you're making movement in the things of God, uh, like we've been talking about, there's opposition or things coming against you to try to keep you, make you quit, make you not be as bold or step out in the things of God as you should, try to get you to draw back, and we are not of those that draw back, right? And so a great uh, and effectual door has been opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Colossians 4, uh, 3, <clears throat> with praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. This is Paul talking to the church at Colossae. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward them, uh, that are without redeeming the time. Uh, and then Paul also asks this question. He uh, uh, has this in Romans 15, 30 through 32. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the uh, Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may have you uh, and may with you be refreshed. So Paul is asking for this prayer. He's asking people to pray. Why? Because there's adversaries. There's opposition to what they're doing. Uh, what he's doing. And so um, with that, <clears throat> when we're praying, Ephesians says that we're sitting in a seat, right? So we sit in a seat of authority, Ephesians tells us. Here, back up. And I'm standing up, but I'm going to sit down here in just a second. But we're in a seat of authority far above opposition far above the enemy speaking and, and roaring it goes about as a roaring lion right and so uh so we're not praying from a place of defeat Amen. we're playing from but praying from a place of victory because christ has already won and what we're doing in our prayers is we're uh enforcing the victory that he already won for us and we're enforcing the victory that he already won for those that he put in leadership over us. And so um, if you want to scatter a church, attack the leader. If you want to um, uh, uh, get rid of a ministry, attack the leader. Why? Because that's where the vision is. And I'm not saying to you anything is wrong necessarily. But I'm just saying, as um, just seemed impressed, that um, as momentum is increasing, as expansion of ministry is increasing, we need your help. We need you to help, and you may already do this, but as he's requiring things of me, I'm sure he's requiring things of you. 
whether you answer that question or not. <laughs> to pray for them because there are adversaries that are trying to keep them out. And um, it was several weeks ago. There's a passage over in Daniel. I didn't look it up today. But it says that it uh, talks about the devil wearing out the saints. And so he can wear out people where they, they feel like they want to give up. But we are here to hold up the arms of our Moses so that uh, Joshua in the valley can win the victory. We are the Aaron's and we're the hers that are holding up their arms. And so, um, so let's stand up. Maybe I should ask you to sit because we've been talking about sitting. But um, you have a place of authority. You have a place of authority in the spirit. And I'll say this, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, 4.11, it says, When Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So he gave us these gifts. God gave us these gifts. What are we going to do with them? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we come before you today. And we thank you for the gifts that you've given us in Mark and Rhonda Garver. Father, I thank you for the pastors that you have put in authority over us. And Father, I thank you that as we pray for them, I thank you, Father God, that our prayers are availing much. That these righteous ones, as they're praying right now, your word says in James, that when the righteous prayer pray, uh, power is made available to them. So I thank you, Father, that as we're praying right now, a supply of the Spirit is being made for them. And Father, I thank you that we as a church at body that we're holding them in the place where they need to be in you we circle around them and father we thank you that the enemy cannot touch them just like it was with kings that you would have uh, uh, <clears throat> that armies lock their shields together and cover them with it uh, uh, surround them with it and cover over the top father with our prayers right now and we protect the anointing that is upon their life we protect father uh, their lives, their bodies. We speak to their bodies and call their bodies strong. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. They go from strength to strength. They go from strength to strength and glory to glory. And Father, I thank you that as we are here and as we pray for them, I thank you that they will accomplish everything that you call them to do. They will reach everywhere that you call them to reach. Father, I thank you for the expansion of this ministry. I thank you for the anointing that's upon their lives to destroy yokes and free uh, people of bondages. And Father, I thank you that it will even get stronger and stronger. Father, I thank you that um, we plead the blood of Jesus over them. Wherever they are right now, that over their vehicle, top to bottom, side to side, front to back, every working part of it, they will hit nothing and no one and nothing and no one will hit them. I thank you, Father. Your word says that you will perfect, as long as they are doing your will, that you will perfect everything that concerns them. So, Father, if there's anything that they have of concern in their life, you're perfecting it, you're completing it, you're bringing it to maturity in their lives in the name of Jesus. 
And Father, I thank you for this gift. I thank you for these gifts. I thank you, Father, that you brought them here. My life has been changed because of it. The anointing on their life has affected my life, has affected my family's life. The trajectory of my life has been changed because of the gift that you gave me. And so, Father, I thank you that as I lift them up and as I pray for them, that you will surround them, you will protect them, you will keep them, Father, in all diligence. I thank you, Father God, that their gift will keep expounding and getting greater and greater influence. And Father, no adversary, but even though there may be adversaries, they will not stop this mighty moving force that is Mark and Rhonda Garver, our pastors. And so, Father, I thank you for the expansion of this ministry. I thank you, Father, for the anointing going further and deeper and it's reaching farther and wider. And I thank you for it, Father, in the name of Jesus. It's your time. It's your time. It's your time to shine. It's your time for acceleration. Acceleration of this ministry. Exposure. And an expansion. Even greater and even more. I thank you, Father, for boldness, that they stand out with boldness to do the will of God. Father, I bind them to the will of God, and they will do that which you put in their hearts to do. Father, I thank you that they delight to do your will. I thank you that you're working in them to will them to do of your good pleasure. And I thank you, Father, that it is their, their meat, their food, their sustenance to do the will of him who sent them and to finish and to finish, and to finish the work, and to finish it, that they, hallelujah, will hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of the Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> oh, thank you, Father, for these assignments that are up on this church. Father, I thank you that you show them how to carry it out. You bring people around them that will pick up the vision, pick up those things that you put in their heart to do. And Father, they will carry out the mission that you put in their hearts to do. They can't do everything physically themselves. But Father, I thank you. Your word says that you give them people for their life. You give them people for their life. Father, from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, we call people here that will come in and pick up the mantle, pick up the vision that, uh, uh, that is of Cornerstone Word of Life Church. And they will put their, uh, their hands to the plow. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.